Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, welcome to another episode of the New News Podcast. It's Josh, Sandy, and Andrew here. I think I did the wrong pointing there, but we're on a new platform, new format, so really excited about this. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We're going to do some myth-busting with some narratives surrounding the St. Louis Cardinals. Some of them have to do with people in the World Series. Some of them have to do with narratives that we've been talking over the last few years, really, to the Cardinals. But off the top, we want to talk about something that Andrew actually kind of broke a little bit within the um, the Twitter account this past week. And um, there's some reports that were coming out that the Cardinals have uh, significant interest um, in Yuki Matsui, for the left-handed uh, reliever out of Japan. Um, that's something that we had already heard a few weeks ago from Derek Gold of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that the Cardinals were interested in him. But then some reports came out from Japan that at first it was sounded like an official offer was made, but now it just sounds like there's significant interest from the Cardinals and Matsui's camp in something happening. Um, today, John Mozeliak made some comments to Tom Anchorman and was kind of talking about what the Cardinals plan to off this offseason is. And again, he said pitching, pitching, pitching. They need to add to the starting rotation in a big way. But he also made some comments about availability out of the bullpen and that they need to beef up the back end with guys who can pitch more consistently but also have the ability to pitch in the late innings and be reliable. That seems to line up a lot with some interest in Matsui, who, again, is the youngest uh, reliever ever to 200 career saves in the Japanese league. So, Andrew, tell us more about what you figured out from that situation, kind of how it unfolded, and then maybe some thoughts on Matsui. Um, so, yeah, basically there was this article being floated around in Japanese that the Cardinals had made an official offer to Yuki Matsui. That's not allowed right now. Um, so essentially the way the offseason works is no teams are allowed to sign free agents until five days after the World Series ends. So whenever that happens, you have to wait five days before you're allowed to sign anyone, make any official offers or any of that. Essentially, that was just a mistranslation of the initial report from Japanese to English. What actually happened was that there were about six teams scouting Yuki Matsui, the Padres, the Yankees, I think the Cubs were in there um, as well. But the report was that the Cardinals have shown the most interest in Matsui. They've sent a lot of scouts to go and see him play. And also Yuki Matsui noted, or, or it was noted by some of the Japanese outlets that Yuki Matsui's interest in the Cardinals is probably the biggest as well because of his, his WBC um, teammate. Uh, Lars Newtbar is is over here, and also um, apparently the best fans in baseball. I think the the article when translated it was like the most passionate baseball fans in the world. So it's nice that that we're getting some international attention as well. So um, it's it's really exciting. Uh, hopefully, uh, with after the five day period ends, they'll make him official offer. But as of right now, no offer has been made. There's just a lot of interest surrounding Matsui specifically from St. Louis. Interesting. Andrew, could you give us a little bit more? Some listeners might not know much about Matsui as a pitcher, but kind of what we're looking at when it comes to him. Yeah, so um, he's a closer for the Rakuten Eagles in the Japan, uh, in the Japanese uh, Nippon Professional Baseball League. Um, he doesn't throw particularly hard, which is interesting for a reliever. He has a lot of pitches, a big pitch mix. I think some people were, were con considering. Uh, so there was some discourse about him becoming a starter. That's not happening at all. If the Cardinals get him, he's going to be a backhand reliever. He's None also five foot eight, right? Like he's really yeah. small. He's not. He's not very large, but he does have really, really good breaking stuff, and he strikes out a lot of hitters. I'm pulling up his numbers right now. This past season, he struck out 11.3 per nine innings. Wow. Um, which is lower than his career average, but his walk rate is also really, really down, which is great um, to see. And those numbers tend to translate really well from the Japanese league. So I'm not worried about it going down. 11.3 per nine innings is, is really good for any reliever. So we'd be lucky to have that strikeout stuff at the back of the bullpen. Yeah. Sandy, what are your thoughts on like adding to the bullpen and the current state of the Cardinal bullpen in general? Yeah, for sure. As anyone who watched the team this year knows, it was really tough um, to watch the pen in action. Coughed up a lot of leads. I think only the Rangers blew more saves than the Cardinals this season, which, funnily enough, they're in the World Series. Um, Good company. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
except for the fact that the Cardinals also lost 90 games. So there's that. Um, they just And they didn't have a lot of leads to begin with, so they actually blew a bigger percentage of their leads than anybody else, which is tough. Um, when you have bad starting pitching and an ineffective bullpen, things are really bad. Now, I think a big reason the Cardinals' bullpen stunk this year is because, obviously, there were a couple big injuries, so they lost Helsley for a large part of the season. Gio was unavailable for more than we'd like him to be. Henesis uh, Cabrera was supposed to be one of those big guys who ended up having to go, and then Hicks spent some time hurt and then was traded. So you had your guys that were supposed to be your guys, and they weren't your guys all season because they were unavailable, either because you know they weren't pitching well, like Hicks at the beginning of the year, they were hurt, uh, and then Romero obviously finished near in the IL. So depth is huge. The Cardinals didn't have that Memphis shuttle running, which I'm referring to guys like Packy Naughton, um, Jared Walsh that one year, or, or Jake Walsh that one year, sorry, or you know just randos that come up, uh, make a couple appearances. Cody Whitley is a great example of this. And then they get sent back down. And the Cardinals just didn't have options like that. This year, they're going to have a lot more. Um, so we should be excited about that. I know Matt Svonson uh, is a guy that just was acquired in the Paul DeYoung trade at the deadline. I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table. He had a great finish to the season um, with Springfield. So the Cardinals have more. But again, you can never have enough depth. This is a great ad. Yeah, I like, and whether it's Mitsui or someone else, it really sounds like, especially based on Mosaic's comments, yeah. they're interested in adding some kind of arm to the back end. Honestly, like even bringing back Jordan Hicks, I wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. be against something like that. Because um, I, I like, like you said, the talent in the back end of the bullpen right now is solid. Like you, yes. obviously, Helsley, when he's healthy, is one of the best there is. It's just you do have to bake in now that it's when healthy. And so you just yeah. don't know what that's going to be. Jojo Romero. He was really good at the end of the season, but at the same time, small sample size and relievers of all those. You don't want to like be like he's for sure yeah. a seventh or eighth inning guy. And then Geo, obviously down year. I don't think you should be people should be really down on him, but you also you should bake that in a little bit too, of like, okay, maybe he is starting to face some regression. So I think you have the pieces back there, but if you got a Matsui type, that really solidifies things where you've got if an an injury happens, regression happens, you're not depleted in april and may like you can you can get by in july and get some relievers but if you're in april and may and you don't have any relievers like you're kind of screwed and so you got to figure out a way to get through the early parts of the season and then inevitably the contenders always add to their bullpen um so i really like the idea of this move obviously they need to prioritize the front end the rotation still um and add to that but it sounds like they're going to try and I mean, at this point, it feels like they're looking at two starters in free agency, a reliever, and then a starter in the trade market. And then maybe they use some of the ancillary pieces to strengthen the bullpen even more. But I'm liking what we're seeing so far. Yeah, absolutely. And then one more thing is just as long as Matsui stays pretty cheap, I'm all in on the Cardinals doing this. Um, as probably some viewers of this show know, the Cardinals don't have a great track record signing expensive relievers. If you look back, Greg Holland is a great example of somebody that the Cardinals gave a bag to, and then uh, he was horrible. Brett Cecil, Andrew Miller. So I'm a little bit wary. I'm, I'm very skeptical, I guess, when I see the Cardinals bring in a big name reliever from outside of the organization. That's why I love the depth. Um, but again, when you don't have the depth, it's terrible. So, Yeah. And it, if Matsui doesn't work out, they could theoretically sign three starters and then trade for some relievers too. Because like O'Neill can bring back a relief, a solid relief pitcher. Like Dylan Carlson can get you that kind of stuff. Alec Burleson surely can get you a reliever if you need. Yeah. Ivan, I mean, and you have so many pieces to move around if they need to. I, if they don't add to the bullpen, I think that's kind of a sign of incompetence. <laughs> like they just there's they have plenty of resources to make it happen. They got to do it, and I think they know that. Yeah, one thing to note, Matsui is a left-hander, so that makes him a little bit more appealing than Hicks right now because right now our only left-hander option is really Jojo Romero. I know they use Palante as a lefty because he has reverse splits, but I don't really know how I feel about him right now. Uh, and also it's worth noting, I, I saw some Drew Verhagen comparisons to Yuki Matsui. That's not correct at all. Uh, Matsui's ERA was like two points lower in Japan, and Drew Verhagen was a, like average to below average pitcher um, in the Japanese league. I don't really know why we went after him, um, but it is what it is. He's not Drew Verhagen, guys. Actually, Drew Verhagen had a pretty good 2023, and I just want to point that out. He had a 110 ERA plus. I'm not going to listen to the DVH slander. Okay. He was maybe a top three reliever on our team this year when you look at the full season. So Our, our yeah. bullpen was also pretty bad, so being top three isn't saying that much. That's I'd true. be happy to have another Drew Verhagen around next year because he's yeah. leaving and we 
depth. See, that's the thing. It's like Drew Fairhagen as your like fourth or fifth or sixth best reliever in your bullpen. You're like, ah, I'll take that. But when he's pitching in the eighth <laughs> inning, it's like, yeah. oh boy, like oh, hundred percent, absolutely, yeah. And it's like not his talent isn't even that. Like I'm not as more as concerned about his talent. It just says a lot about what you have after him. Where it's like if you're, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I just PTSD from watching the Cardinals bullpen this year. So let's let's avoid okay. that. Um, not a reality. The Cardinals bullpen was really bad last year. Um, but we do have some myths that we do want to do some busting on this uh, pod about. So basically. I, there's just a lot of narratives surrounding the St. Louis Cardinals nationally, locally among fans, media. Like there's just all these different things that happen. And sometimes they are baked with some truth, but in general, the claim just isn't there. Um, and so we have five that we want to talk about specifically off the top, and then we might address some more as well. And I'm going to go out of order a little bit here because Aldolis Garcia is just tearing up the world series right now. So we're all talking about him. He's like, he's just broke David Freeze's RBI record. I, I fell asleep the other night. I was just exhausted, and I woke up and just had all these texts that said Adolis Garcia, and I was like, oh, no, what happened? And, of course, the walk-off bomb. So a lot of people are saying Adolis Garcia is another example of the Cardinals misevaluating talent. I think we would agree that is a myth, and that is not true. So why would you say the Adolis Garcia situation is not another example of the Cardinals missing on the talent or at least misevaluating talent in the moment. I'll go first here, um, and I'll say for anyone watching this, um, if you're not a Cardinals fan, then your team also missed out on Adelis Garcia. Exactly. Uh, because the Texas Rangers, e even if you're the Rangers, they DFA'd Adolis Garcia, um, and they basically, okay, yeah, twice. So um, they basically gave any other team the opportunity to claim him off waivers. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're a Cubs fan. I've seen Cubs fans being like, yeah, the Cardinals missed on Adelis Garcia. Look at them. They're so dumb. And it's like, no, the Cubs also missed on Adelis Garcia. They could have claimed him off waivers, but they didn't. Um, so I don't really know what that narrative even comes from. Adelis Garcia is just a player who was really bad at one point, and then he turned it around um, in Texas, and he just figured everything out, and now he's a great hitter. But um, he was never gonna like. We were. He might have done that in St. Louis if we kept him, but he would have been Taylor Motter for like a year and a half before um, we ever got to see that. What was his last year? Twenty eighteen that he played with them, or is it twenty seventeen? I think it was. I've got his twenty eighteen baseball reference up. He appeared with the Cardinals in twenty eighteen, and then spent all of twenty nineteen in the Cardinals minor league system. Yeah. Before the DFA'd. So it's like. If if uh, sure, two years ago he started to really show some signs, or was it? Yeah, two years ago. Last year yeah. was pretty good. Three, so you would have to at least wait three years for him to be a legitimate outfielder that you have. And context is important here. Like you, like we all know how things panned out, but Tyler O'Neill clearly had the higher ceiling. And okay, if oh, you let yeah. Tyler O'Neill go and he had the twenty twenty one he had with another team, oh boy, like the Cardinals would get destroyed right now. Harrison Bader, but he was like a center fielder. Aldolis Garcia is not a true center fielder. Um, again, you had Dylan Carlson at the time, who was highly rated. You didn't have Jordan Walker yet, so that's not in the equation. But you just had other options that at some point, like John Mozeff talked about today with Tom Ackerman, like at some point you have to make a decision on these guys. And when you're Aldolis Garcia was 25 at the time, over 30% strikeout rate, he had some nice home run numbers, but honestly, he looked a lot like Moises Gomez, not really like the the guy we're seeing right now. And then it took him a while. He didn't go to the Rangers and instantly become better. Like, like we talked about, he had DFA twice. Like he could have been out of the league, but I think this is just a, an example of a player working hard, overcoming his um, issues and turning his career around in a way that literally no one saw coming. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, there are things that we haven't talked about here. There are a variety of ways to attack this myth. And <laughs> I'm just going to go through a couple of them. Like you said, you're talking about Adolis Garcia's production in St. Louis. It was terrible. Um, obviously, it's a small sample size. But when you're 25 um, and you're a player that's not seen as like a super big deal, you don't get a big sample size with your organization. Adolis Garcia with the Cardinals appeared in 21 games, mostly as a pinch runner. He got 17 at bats, hit 118, struck out a bunch, drew zero walks, uh, one double one single. That's all that he did. That is the total extent of what he did. And even as a pinch runner, 
if nobody remembers, I'm going to remind everybody, there was a game against Milwaukee late in the 2018 season with the Cardinals still in contention for the division and the wild card, might I add. And down 2-1, to one, Adolis Garcia comes hustling around. And, and this is the bottom of the eighth inning. Cardinals ended up not scoring in the ninth. Um, but coming around second base, Garcia – or third base, Garcia trips, face plants, slides a couple feet down the line. Absolutely brutal. Uh, I was – yeah, I was watching that night. I was upset. Um, and I remember going to Twitter because he gets thrown out at the plate. The Cardinals lose the game 2-1. to one. I remember going on Twitter, and everyone's just exploding. Who's this Garcia guy? Why is he on the team? And I guarantee those are some of the same accounts that right now are screaming every time Garcia breathes uh, on the Rangers. A second thing is, like Josh said, we have to talk about the other players that were available to the Cardinals then and now. Um Complaining about not having Garcia overlooks the fact that the Cardinals have a very, very good and very promising outfield. I'm not taking Garcia over Lars Newbar. I'm just not. Garcia just had his best year with a 123 WRC plus or OPS plus. WRC plus was a little lower than that, actually. Uh, and he's 30. Okay. Lars Newbar has a career OPS plus of that. And he's much younger with much more control remaining. So I'll take that any day of the week. Also, Lars Nupar plays better defense than him and is a better center fielder. Left-handed uh, bat, too. Mm-hmm. Lars Nupar is going to be worth more over a 162-game season, uh, especially if he can stay healthy. But even if he can't, he's still a better player than Adolis Garcia, and war bears that out. Also, Jordan Walker has a much higher ceiling than Garcia. We don't even need to talk about that. Walker, as a 21-year-old, had 116 OPS plus, which would have been better than any Garcia season until he turned 30. Uh, I'd much rather have that 10 years earlier. And then, you know, the Cardinals have so many other options um, for that last outfield spot. Like, could Alec Burleson be a better hitter by the time he's 27? Yeah, for sure. Tyler O'Neill has a much higher ceiling, and that's when we have to talk about the players they had then. Uh, Josh mentioned Tyler O'Neill's 2021 far better than any season Adolis Garcia has ever had on record. Um, and then for the people that want to hear about Harrison Bader, the way I look at it is the Cardinals evaluate their outfielders in two ways. Um, you have one bucket of all your corner outfielders and one bucket of your center outfielders. At that point in time, Bader was the only center fielder that made any sense. He was also on a very team-friendly extension, so keeping him around was a no-brainer. Plus, his defensive tool, his glove, um, was generational. And frankly, it was better than any of Garcia's tools, including the power, which is good, but it's not generational. Um, so, yeah, it made sense for Garcia to go at the time. I understand, but he's 26 by the time he's leaving the organization, not producing, actually was not as good as he, uh, Moises Gomez at AAA. So, yeah, Cardinals fans, stop complaining about this. It's, it's overplayed and done. I mean, it's the national media as well. Like we've seen a lot of accounts, like major accounts, like Fox Sports, I think was talking about it. And it's just like, yeah, the Cardinals let Adelise Garcia go, who's the ALCS MVP. Are we forgetting that the NLCS MVP, Cattell Marte, got traded by the Mariners for nothing? I think we forgot that part. Um, and Jordan Alvarez. Got Josh Fields. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what is going on. Um we don't talk about those other teams misses. So are we talking about Adelise Garcia? Yeah. Especially a team like the Dodgers. Like I know they won a world series in 2020, but like talk about a team that just consistently comes up short. And like, we're just not going to talk about when you miss on a guy like Jordan Alvarez. And it's part, it's part of baseball. Like every single team has at least a few guys in recent memory all the time where you're like, man, we missed on that guy. Um, and I just think, like you can, I, we can agree to disagree between the three of us. I think it's fair to criticize Randy Orr's arena trade. I think it's fair to definitely fair to criticize Gallon and Alcantara. I don't think that the thought process for either of those trades should be critiqued as much. But like missing on the talent can be like sure. Like you gave up two Cyan, potential yeah. Cyan winners and an All Star type of outfielder. Like you can give him crap for that. But a guy like Garcia, when everyone in baseball didn't see it, I just. I think it's overplayed, and I think if this happened to the the Pirates or the Brewers, people just really aren't talking about it. But it's the Cardinals, and so we're going to beat them dead with it because kick them while they're down, I guess. I mean, it has um, happened to the Pirates. They gave up Garrett yeah. Cole and, and Tyler Glasgow. Like, How about so the Chris Archer trade? How about yeah. the Chris Archer trade? The Pirates, so the Pirates acquired one and a half seasons of Chris Archer from the Tampa Bay Rays, and I kid you not, these are the three names they gave back. They gave back Tyler Glasnow, 
uh, Austin Meadows and Shane Boz, who's currently the Rays, like one of their best prospects. So this is, it's crazy that people are going to, and then by the way, before the end of that control, Chris Archer had been DFA'd and was back with the Rays. Beautiful. But Randy Rosarina is the, or sorry, Adolfo Garcia and Randy Rosarina and Zach Allen. They're the only guys that have ever been traded from a team and had success elsewhere, apparently. So let's talk about whatever. The real quick, too. Okay. The Cubs oh, traded one, Dylan yes. Cease and Eloy Jimenez for like what, one and a half seasons of Quintana? And he was like a Chicago four plus year A guy. Horrible. Yeah. He wasn't just bad, he was terrible in Chicago. And then, by the way, Quintana likes playing in St. Louis a lot more, I'm sure, because he was great here. Also, the thing yeah. about Quintana, it didn't make sense in the moment to me. Like, I know he had control, yeah. but he wasn't even, like, it wasn't like trading for Marcelo Zuna where he's a middle-of-the-order bat coming off, like, an all-star silver slugger season. Like, he was a fine pitcher, and you gave up Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez, who at the time, like, Eloy Jimenez was a top prospect, and Dylan Cease kind of rose a little after, but, oh boy. Yeah, Quintana went to the Cubs and was, like, pretty good down the stretch in 2017, and then was, like, really bad, like, Arguable, arguably a dumpster fire in like 19 and 20 before they finally got rid of him. So it's just so wild. Every single team has huge misses, but mm-hmm. I don't understand the, and one more thing with Adolis Garcia until right now, he really hasn't been that good with the Rangers. I don't get it. He had a hundred OPS plus um, in 2021, which everyone refers to as his breakout. Okay. Like a lot of Cardinals have put up hundred OPS plus seasons. That's worse than Paul DeYoung's been at times with the Cardinals. It's a lot worse than Jordan Walker was offensively this year. Yeah. I just, I, I really don't get it. I don't understand where all the hype comes from because he's a fine ball player, but he's not doing anything crazy. Yeah, I think this is just another reason why I don't lo- – I I just really get frustrated when people are like, well, the dude hit – like when people just throw home runs out and they're like, that's the defining stat of someone. It's like it is – obviously, home runs are the best possible thing you can have. But like when that's all you do, like his 31 home run season, he's a 96 WRC plus guy. Below league average hitting 31 home runs. Like, yeah, because he struck out 194 times. He yeah. hit 194 strikeouts. And I know that every single one of those would have driven Cardinals fans nuts. Yep, and a 286 on base percentage. That's oh horrible. So, like, again, game. like if you had if you had Garcia that year, you're like, oh, that's a nice player. It's fine, but like, it's nothing to get like freaked out about. Um, again, he's that's a worse hitter than Jordan Walker, Lars Newbar. I use that like the 2021 is only a little bit better than Alec Burleson was this year for the card. Like, it's just I don't know. Obviously, this year he broke out. We get it, but I mean, if you uh, look at 2021, the outfield we had. MVP candidate Tyler O'Neill. We had Harrison Bader who won a Gold Glove, and we had Dylan Carlson who finished third in Rookie of the Year voting, which was a, a Dolis Garcia finished fourth in AL Rookie of the Year voting that year. So, like, who who really cares? Yeah, our outfielder. Uh, he, he would have been our fourth outfielder. He would have been what most people thought Lars Newpar was last offseason. Which, by the way, if we had traded him, see, that's that the other thing. You you keep Garcia. You pr- you might have got. I mean, sure, you might have gotten rid of O'Neill or something instead, but like. You might not have Lars Newbar right now. Uh, there's, I don't know. There's different scenarios that play out that it doesn't necessarily mean they would have kept the other guys either. So, anyways, before I tear my hair out, let's keep moving because I'm just gonna scream if we have to talk about Adolf Garcia, Garcia again. Um, so some, and I don't. I'll I'll go into this to start, but we can uh, banter about it a little bit. But I see it a lot that people say the payroll didn't go up in 2023, oh. which is just not true. And so. I actually, I, I think I probably said that before too. Like when first, when things first came out, we all were kind of like, "Hey, what happened with the payroll?" But as numbers came out early last year, the payroll went up twelve percent last year. And so, okay, let's start here. I'm not defending um, the Cardinals front office for what they did. The I'm posting an uh, there's an article will be on Redbird Rants. You can see it. I'll talk about like the issue is not that the payroll didn't go up because it did. The payroll the issue is how the Cardinals payroll went up last year. If you look, um, they started on opening day with 154 million dollars committed to their 26 man roster in 2022. 2023, their their opening day salaries were at 174 million. That is a 12 percent increase. Now, how it increased was the Wilson Contreras signing, the Adam Wainwright re-signing, and arbitration numbers and raises for internal players, like and the Arenado deal. Like, that's not going to cut it. And so you can criticize them and get frustrated them for not engaging at the market. And it's been reported after the fact that 
Um, they looked at the top end of the um, free agent market for pitching, but got balked at the the price point. But they never promised they're going to do that. We'll get to that later. Um, they obviously they went after the best catcher, which was nice, but they just didn't do enough. And so I think like that narrative needs to die because when you're trying to like actually like talk about what needs to change about the Cardinals, when you just throw out things that just aren't true. It, even if it like is how you feel that like oh well they didn't do it the way I wanted them to like then say that say you increased payroll but you only increased payroll because you gave raises to guys and made overpaid Adam Wayne right like that's just not going to cut it that's a fair argument and that's something I think they would agree with but if you just say it didn't go up then of course John Mozeliak's going to give you the like snarky comment that like yeah it went up because it did so like I just don't like when we throw out these things that are just not true. And then when people call it, you get like they get annoyed thinking that you're defending the front office. It's like just say the facts because if we don't play with the facts, it doesn't help anyone out. Absolutely right. Now I think a separate but related part of this issue is Mosellock's messaging. The messaging of the front office yes. misled people. Now, yeah. did he lie? Like you said, no, he didn't lie. But for him to come on and say, like on the record, say the payroll will increase significantly. I believe that is the exact word he used. I believe he used the word significantly. People are going to interpret that as we're going to make a splash in free agency. And they did. Wilson Contreras is the biggest um, out of the organization free agent acquisition position player. That's a mouthful, but it excludes the holiday extension after he reached free agency. It excludes the Goldschmidt extension, the leak contract. Um, but it was a very notable deal for the Cardinals to sign. Whatever. Um, but the messaging from the front office wasn't great. And so I see why people are mad. But like Josh said, we do have to have the facts right. We do have to be saying the right things because if we don't, what are we doing? And part of that also is these payroll numbers are not easy to find. And so I see people tossing around figures on Twitter, on other social media sites. They're wrong. A lot of times the figures they're using either don't match up. So Josh mentioned this in the pre-show, um, but it might be something like someone's comparing the 40-man roster from last year with the 26-man roster from this year. Well, that's comparing apples to oranges. Yep. Um, obviously the 40 man roster is going to cost more because there are 14 more guys on that. Um, or you'll see guys just pulling numbers off sport track. Just that's, that's not right that they don't have access to stuff. That's not necessarily publicly available or not easily available. Yeah. Um, I know sport track, like the Nolan Arnauto contract, very complicated. Derek Gould did a great breakdown of it at one point. And like, you need to go there and read that if you want to know how to talk about that. Um, but like, Sportrack doesn't include all that. So they don't know how much Nolan Arnato is getting paid by the Cardinals last year. So it's just, yeah, it's frustrating. So people need to know what they're talking about before they just throw around stuff like the Cardinals don't spend money. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think also part of this too, that you could kind of get into um, it's, I think the, the the misled conversation I think needs to be like that is that is true that needs to be hammered home. Um, but also when you come to the um, payroll numbers too, I think like something that's tricky to look at right now is you can't compare what the payroll is after the trade deadline to opening day either because the Cardinals weren't gonna like if they're in contention they were gonna probably add to the payroll not to offload all these salaries. And the only reason they offloaded them was the players in return because they're coming off their books. So like taking like their their current payroll right now is significantly lower than even opening day was but like that's a strategic move and it's not like a sign of them cutting back payroll even more too so there's just stuff, nuances like that that people need to be paying attention to but anyways um but so speaking of how payroll should go up and it doesn't i think we also see like especially when the cardinals are saying we're gonna go after pitching 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 so myth number three people just say like the cardinals say they'll make moves but they never do like the, the that's a narrative you'll see is like the Cardinals always promise they're going to do something big but they don't actually follow through with it i would say and i don't know if you guys agree with this or not that the cardinals almost never promise to do anything big yeah. <laughs> and if they True. do like they say we want a catcher they go out and they get the best catcher or if they want to add a middle of the order bat, they try to trade for Giancarlo Stanton or they try to trade for Marcelo's unit or they trade for Goldschmidt and Arenado. Like they actually go out and do what they say or do what they can to get the best possible move. The problem is like fans or media will project this idea of, oh, they should sign Trey Turner. Yeah. And if they don't, then the Cardinals missed out and on my expectations. It's like, 
we can that's a fair argument you can say they they should have gone after Corey seeker or whatever like you can have that opinion but that's just because they don't do it doesn't mean they promise to do it like i just show me where they said we're gonna go out and make all these big moves and they didn't do that now whenever they do say they're gonna do something it feels like they actually even if they don't do it exactly how we want it they usually kind of follow through what do, what do you guys think about that I mean, yeah, uh, there was obviously the Contreras situation last offseason. They said they wanted a catcher. Um, and then the David Price contract, which I don't think we talked about um, nearly enough, um, where they offered him a, a fair contract. And then David Price went and signed a lot more uh, with Boston. And, I mean, that's probably a good decision because David Price fell off pretty big in Boston and just wasn't that good. Um, so, when John Mozeliak says, yeah, we're going to go after pitching this offseason, I tend to tend to believe it. Um, now, will that be Yamamoto, Nola, and Sonny Gray? Probably not. Maybe maybe two of those guys if we're lucky. Um, but they're going to go out and they're going to try to, try to do um, what they can to make the pitching a lot better within the constraints of the payroll, obviously. I think the payroll will go up a lot this year because if you look at the end-of-season numbers, the payroll actually went down quite a bit, so they did save a bit of money um, at the end of the season that they could go ahead and spend in the future. But I'm inclined to believe that they're going to go after the pitching that they that they say they're going to go after. I, I want them to get Nola, Yamamoto, and, and Gray, but they won't because that's just like even the Dodgers, if they wanted all three of those guys, would have trouble getting all three of those guys. 100%. And I just have to say, um, to Cardinals fans who say, like, we don't make the big acquisition. I challenge you to name a team that has made more big acquisitions in the last seven or eight years than the Cardinals. It's actually pretty hard to do so. A lot of teams haven't made any. You talk about the fact that the Cardinals acquired Marcelo Zuna, acquired Paul Goldschmidt, and acquired Nolan Arenado in a five-year window. I mean, the, the Arenado deal was the biggest deal of that offseason. No other team had a bigger grab that offseason than the Cardinals. And you can make the argument that the Paul Goldschmidt deal was the same thing. Maybe they don't play in free agency as much as you'd like them to. But I would say those are three massive, massive trades. And I can't think of another team off the top of my head that has made three such trades. And especially like over the offseason, we're not talking about rentals. We're talking about guys with real control on the books. Um Moreover, the Cardinals have signed pretty big guys in free agency, too. Greg Holland was the best reliever available. Dexter Fowler was one of the most highly sought-after outfielders that season. Did it go well? No. But people wanted him, and the Cardinals spent a lot of money on him. That was an $80 million deal. Wilson Contreras was the best free agent catcher available. So, yeah, I understand the frustration, but I think the Cardinals make the big move more than the vast majority of teams. Yeah. I mean, Mo did say that, um, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but Mo did say that in addition to pitching, if there was a really good position player available, they would consider it. Now, I'm not sure if Mo's aware, but there are also position players who, who are pitchers. So I feel like that would be a really good idea um, oh, if we're throwing that out there. Yeah, they have one, Al Burleson. We've established this. And Mason Wynn, they have two-way players if they need it. And by um, the way, Alec Burleson actually can play in the outfield, and you don't need a six-man rotation with him on your team. Oh, I mean, you do need Adam Wainwright to allow him to even get into the game. So we're not, we don't have that. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Take that back right now. <laughs> wow. Andrew uh, there. I hope they play that clip at his uh, red jacket ceremony. Just to, you know. <laughs> anyway, we love you. Andrew's views are not. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I love Adam Wainwright. <laughs> I'm just saying the only two appearances that he made last season were when Adam Wainwright started the game. Was one of them the game against the Rockies? We're I, know, but I, I think I watched Alec Burleson pitch against the Astros. Like I was at the game and I was like, why am I still here? Oh, I was at that game. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember that. Cause I was, <laughs> anyways, that was terrible. Um, so something to note just real quick as we're moving through is, okay. So Cardinals budget this year, it's kind of hard to fully know what it looks like, but they're likely sitting at currently $146 million on the books. And if they have another increase like they did this past year, which based on comments from Mozeliak and DeWitt, it seems like a, you can expect another 12 to 15% increase at least. And that's if they don't follow through or if they don't double down on some comments they made about potentially taking, uh, not making as much profit next year. And DeWitt said they're willing to do something like that. 
um, they probably will get into the 190 million range, which would put them at about 50 ish million dollars they could spend right now without making any moves. Um, I would, I, I actually think they're going to push 200. And if they do that, then that's about 54 million that's freed up on the books right now. Now you also can free up another $6 million by getting rid of Tyler O'Neill. You can free up another 4 million potentially. Again, this is, you can't really know right now. This is arbitration projections, um, potentially another three to 4 million with Dakota Hudson. You can free up another 7 million if you're getting rid of Tommy Edmond. And so like, there's a way to free up another $20 million in getting like you, when you trade for other guys. So I would say the Cardinals have about 50 to $70 million to spend this off season. And that's on probably spending on two starters and going after maybe one reliever in free agency. And obviously some of the trade money will have to be from that books too. But I just, the path makes a lot of sense. It's not projecting this time, like, oh, they should go do this, but it will require them to do something out of character. Like they actually have budget to work with right now. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm, I'm very optimistic that they'll get one of those top guys. And I think may, I think the, the only way to get two top guys is if it's like Nola and gray or Yamamoto and gray, but We'll see. So you're telling me um, Sonny Gray is a Cardinal by Thanksgiving? I think so. I hope so. I hope so. So, so we'll see. We just got Sonny Gray might take the qualifying offer, which is crazy. No, please don't do that. He'd be crazy that'd to be, do that. Yeah, that'd be wild. He can get more AAV and more years. Yikes. Anyways, if he, if he wants to sign one year 30, okay, come to St. Louis. I'll yeah, I'd pay him. Maybe one year honestly like sure why not um okay so another myth and sandy i know you have some strong feelings about this one i think we all probably do people say the marcel zuna trade was a terrible idea yeah, yeah. i think that's a myth i i agree with you so on the surface obviously like yeah gargantuan overpay for what Ozuna yep. brought me, right um just so we can have like we're all operating under the same understanding of the deal the Cardinals acquired Marcelo Zuna, who had two years of service time left. He was coming off of an excellent season in which he was a gold glove winner, uh, which is crazy, a silver slugger, an all-star, and he placed an MVP voting. I don't think he was a finalist. Um, but no, he was like 15th, I think. Yeah, he placed an MVP voting. Um, in my opinion, off that season, like the Big Bear, as he was called at the time with the neon sleeve, I would say he was one of the – 15 best players in the national league for sure. Like his, his MVP resume reflected how I felt about him. So the Cardinals going out and getting him huge deal. Also was in the middle of a Marlins fire sale um, where they also traded Yelich and Stanton and whatnot. Um, and for the people that at the time thought Ozuna was the worst of those three, I might've argued that he was the most intriguing option. He was also the cheapest. So, the Cardinals ended up trading Sandy Alcantara, who had just come up and had only pitched out of the bullpen for them. So they traded him. They traded Zach Gallen, who at the time was struggling with fastball velocity and was a really interesting pitching prospect, but I don't think he'd even reached AAA yet. Uh, they also traded Magner Sierra, who was seen as the headliner in that deal by a lot of people, which is really strange. Um, but he'd come up and been kind of a spark plug guy. Most people I talked to back in 2019 were upset about seeing him gone. And the last guy was Daniel Castano, who's a throw-in, who actually made a couple nice starts for the Marlins. Um, so those four players for Ozuna, yes, it's a big overpay, but what Ozuna brought the Cardinals was a stabilizing force. He was our best hitter the next season. Um, and Ozuna's the only reason the Cardinals made the playoffs in 2019 when they beat the Braves. Career-defining moment for Yadier Molina. Uh, you know, that walk-off hit in game four to extend the series. Like, those are all great moments that, honestly, I wouldn't give up for anything. Because, yeah. You know, so, all of that said, I just don't think it's that bad. I know you have more opinions on the players themselves, too. Yeah, I, it's just, I think, my here's my, here's my issue. The I think it's actually an example of what the Cardinals need to do. They need to get aggressive and they need to just stop. Like the, the, I'm glad they didn't make the Sean Murphy trade this past off season, like with what was needed to give it up. But it's clear with their conversations about Murphy and some other like potential deals they could have made in recent years that they've been 
like honestly like having a little bit of shock about and just a fear of not wanting to make a big swing and a miss again and so i just think that that trade should be looked at as yeah it was a massive failure okay like that that that's it sucks but like that's part of what happens when you make trades like that and if you're going to drastically improve the team in 2024, you have to be aggressive with kind of deals like that. Now, do I think that means they have to go out and trade for a top starter? Not necessarily, but like, I think you, that means you should take a risk on a Tyler glass now type. If the, the white Sox only want prospects for Dylan Cease, I'm in like, I love Tink Kent's. I love to Roby, but I, I'd put one of them on the table for Dylan Cease with the position they're in right now, or um, exploring, chase davis or whoever like you got to be aggressive um and so i just think like obviously we can we like zach gallon at the time he wasn't viewed as a top prospect Not he made some improvements to his game he got traded from miami to arizona so no like, one talks about that part yeah true why is it miami getting ripped for zach gallon right now yeah he was better in miami than he was in st louis's system true and jack was majors in miami yeah, and I, I mean, like, did get Jazz Chisholm back, so yeah, but like Marcelo Zuna, I guess I'd have to check, but I feel like Jazz Chisholm hasn't been better than Marcelo Zuna was. Yeah, how has Jazz Chisholm been? He's hurt. It's the cover yeah. curse. <laughs> the cover curse. That's the weirdest MLB the show cover of all time, Jazz Chisholm. Yeah. But um anyway, so I just I think I personally like I, I guess a lot of these people are going to read into it and be like, you're defending. I'm not defending the move. It was, it went, worked out horribly, but the idea is what you have to go after again. And if they fail again, then yeah, that jobs will be on the line. Like that's a part of the business, but I just, I don't like when the, I don't like the idea of the Cardinals sitting back and just holding on to all their assets because they're afraid one of them is going to pop off. Yeah. I mean, are we doing the Arby's ad read now? No, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> just on another note, um, just be thankful. <laughs> That's for all of you out there. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> sorry. This is great. Oh my gosh. I'll cut uh, that out. I guess I want to say one more thing about the Ozuna deal before we move on. <laughs> it was too good. <laughs> um, okay. oh, one man. more thing. You mentioned it. Zach Gallon wasn't viewed like that highly as a prospect. I think at the time, a lot of people thought it was an underpay. Yeah. Right? And so that needs to be tossed out there too. Like under, like, like under the circumstances which Mosaloc was operating at the time, it was like, oh my gosh, the Cardinals just fleeced. You know, they just absolutely fleeced the Marlins, which obviously we know that's not true today. Yeah. But that matters. Like at the time, people thought, wow, another steal for a great GM, John Mosellock. And his name's been dragged through the mud because of that and a couple other deals um, that we talked about earlier. There's really no reason to criticize. Um, but like, think about this. Think about if the two random pitchers that the Rockies had gotten back, in addition to Gomber and Montero, what if those guys had made it out of double A and had come up to the big leagues and been really productive starters? And if Nolan Arenado was 2023 Nolan Arenado every year, like this would probably be the same type of thing and people would be complaining a lot. But at the time it was like, wow, I can't believe the Cardinals just did that. Now that one worked out. And for every deal that works out, random stuff happens because baseball is baseball. And you, you never know, like, who knew that Jordan Alvarez was going to be one of the premier left-handed hitters in 2023? Like, it just, stuff happens. Yeah, like, imagine if instead they had taken all of the stuff they gave up for Arenado and Goldschmidt, and they traded that to the Miami for Ozuna. People probably don't really care. And then they swap Alcantara for Arenado and Gallon for Goldschmidt. It's like, you can debate if it was the right move or not, but it's, not that bad. So, like, I think the net total of what they've given up to in the talent they've acquired in return, I just, again, I think it's starting to get like this where you can, like, okay, like, I get you got Arenado, I get you got Goldschmidt, you got, you hoped it was going to be better, but you got a decent guy there, but now you've given up all that. Sure, it's probably heavier on this side now, but I just don't think it's as drastic as we want to make it out to be at times, but. Include all the deals that Mosaic's made the last few years, though. I know we have to move on, but I actually yeah. think, I don't know. People accuse me of being like the number one Mo fan all the time, but I think he's really good. The Jojo Romero trade. Why don't we talk about that? The Cardinals got a legitimate closer for Edmundo Sosa. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like the Cardinals make under the radar deals like this all the time and people refuse to talk about it. 
and I the mean, moment Montgomery, had, right? Yes, the Cardinals turned one and a half seasons of injured Harrison Bader, who, by the way, the Yankees waved into Jordan Montgomery, who they then turned into Roby, Sajazi, and King. The Cardinals turned Malcolm Nunez, a prospect who might never see the light of day, and Johan Oviedo, somebody who, again this year, just is not ready to be a big league pitcher, into Jose Quintana, who started for us in game one of a playoff series and was really freaking good. Down the stretch, Quintana was awesome. Uh, The Lane Thomas deal is one people complain about all the time. Lane Thomas was going nowhere in St. Louis, and I liked Lane Thomas. But I'm sorry, John Lester was what the Cardinals needed, and he made sure we got to the playoffs. So, And and this deadline is going to be talked about for a long time because the Cardinals turned Paul DeYoung into a legitimate relief prospect. They took Jack Flaherty and got a guy from Baltimore who was better than Jack Flaherty down the stretch and added Prieto and Showalter. Yeah. I just – Mosellock has been really good. So tell me I hold Mose water or not. I'll stick to that. Yeah, I think the Prieto, he's dominating the Dominican. I think he's in the Dominican League right now. He's been hitting really well. Um, I just think that's – and it's like like he honestly might not even ever play in St. Louis. Like he might be one of those guys that because of the infield depth, he might get flipped in this offseason as a part of the pitching. And it's like if he's like the second or third piece that helps them get Glass now or Cease or whoever, that's like – I don't know. There's just so much that can potentially happen here, or it allows them to have the flexibility to give up, even though I don't want this, but like Donovan or something like that to go after something, knowing they have the JC and Prieto and other guys coming up. So this deadline, I, I think true. We'll look back on it soon as a, as a huge, I mean, already, already a huge win, but it just could keep, it can keep getting, getting even better. Um, last myth that we want to kind of talk through, and this is a kind of like a weird deep cut one that I saw on Twitter. I, I kind of actually asked for it recently. I was like, Hey, everyone, I just tweeted out, I was like, give me examples of times the Cardinals lied. Like, tell me something they said they would do and didn't do it. Um, or that they said they'd do something and they changed their tune later because I was just curious. I was like, I want to know because I see it all the time. So uh, if I see it all the time, it should be easy to find. Turns out it wasn't that easy to find. There was a lot of myths in there. But one that I thought was interesting that I still think is a myth, but I think it's worth kind of talking about is people talked about how the Cardinals fired Mike Matheny after the 2018 All-Star break or before, and that they would say that, uh, or that Bill DeWitt Jr. was quoted as saying, in some places, a winning record or even hitting or playing 500 baseball is unacceptable. Not with this city, not with this franchise, not with this history, and not with these fans. So Bernie uh, Milkhouse or whatever um, tweeted that out, and he then was like, okay, so who's going to get sacked for this season? Because you can't say that and not have heads roll this one. I think there's needed context for this. Mike Matheny was coming off the missing the playoffs two straight years and was on pace to miss it again. So that's three straight seasons of missing the playoffs. Ollie Marmol just made the playoffs in his first year as a manager. Like, so, you know, you don't like, it's like, obviously this season is worse than anything Mike Matheny had, but I just don't think it's quite the same context. And then uh, John Mosellock in the front office were clearly putting the blame on Mike Matheny for the team. And Mike Schilt came in and things changed. So they were right. Like they needed a change. What they're doing this off season is saying, Hey, we were at fault. We didn't spend like we needed to. We didn't make the right moves. It's not Ollie's fault. So we're going to take the blame here. And so if heads were going to roll, it should be, you can't fire ownership, but it should be the front office. But when you have 12 straight winning seasons, like, I'm sorry, you're going to get a little more leeway when you have one bad season, especially like we talked about there. They just have made so many good moves over the years. I just don't think that's the same situation. Do you guys disagree or agree with that? I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent on this one. I think it's different, but I can I get why people get mad about it. But do you think that comments like that from Bill DeWitt back in 2018 should kind of hold more weight now or different situations? I mean, I have some strong opinions. I want to hear Andrew go first, and then I'll, uh, I'll round it out. <laughs> I mean, for, for last year's um, last year's situation, I think if Bill DeWitt wants to make those comments again, he should maybe take a look in the mirror um, because he didn't spend the money that was needed to, to provide a winning product. Um, I think if he had given uh, John Mozeliak a little bit more leeway to spend on some of the starting pitchers, he probably would have addressed that. Um, I know Mozeliak said that we have six starting pitchers and, and we laugh at that and was like, no, we didn't. Um, we had like one starting pitcher, maybe. Um, so 
yeah, if he wants to fire someone, it was probably going to be Mo, and I don't think he was going to do that at any point. I still believe Ollie has what it takes to, to be a good manager, and I know, um, yeah, um, I get criticized for that all the time. Um, people really don't like Ollie, but I, I'll still support him. And, yeah, I don't I don't really know. If Ollie does bad again next year, then, yeah, probably he has to go. Um, I yeah. think that's the point that, that was made pretty clear. And even Ollie's taking accountability. He's like, yeah, it, the fans should want me fired after such a bad season. And I think yeah. everyone wants to deliver a better season for next next year. So at this point, not really. I believe in... I believe in uh, management. I believe in um, the front office. I just think we need to spend a little bit of money this offseason to, to make the pitching better, and then we'll be fine. Yeah, and one thing I'll add to that before you jump in, Sandy, is I like I think it's really cool that Ollie, in his first year, hired Skip Schumacher to be his bench coach. Oh, yeah. Last year, he won- who was clearly going to be a manager the, this coming season. That was going to happen. Then he hires Matt Holiday to be his bench coach. Obviously, Matt Holiday stepped away, and it was not because of Ollie. It's because he wanted family stuff. But like he's a future MLB manager, and now he's open to the idea of bringing Yadier Molina on his staff. I just think this shows that like he's like he puts the team first. And like I'm not I'm not gonna say he's a really good manager or anything. I think he's I think he's pretty good, and I think you roll with him. I'm not, wouldn't be surprised if things don't work out next year and you have to move on from him. But I just think it says a lot about him that he's not trying to be the smartest person in the room. He's not trying to take over the clubhouse. He like wants to surround himself with people that might even be better candidates than him because he wants to put the team in the best possible situation to win. That's a good manager to me. 100%. Right before I jump into that, I just want to address something Andrew said about DeWitt not providing the resources. Honestly, I looked at the pitchers on the market and it's like, eh, there's really nobody that was available to me that would have changed this. The problem was the depth. And that's something that's been a long time coming. Um, so I think 2023 in some ways is inevitable when you look at the lack of pitching depth, the lack, and all, all that available. Um, but jumping back into the Marmol conversation, yeah, I really don't have a problem with Marmol sticking around. And I think it's annoying when people flip out about it um, because it's one bad year that the Cardinals had. And Josh, you said 12 straight winning seasons. That's a big deal. Most franchises can't touch that. Um, so that's something that needs to be celebrated. Uh, people need to understand that the Cardinals are a great franchise that have done a ton of winning and yeah, fans were really spoiled. Like we looked really spoiled this year, um, on Twitter and stuff. When you have Cardinals fans whining and whining for someone to be fired. I also think I'm I'm not sure how much people understand how much managers actually impact the game. What does a manager really do? Especially now that you don't really pinch hit. I mean, you manage a bullpen and you manage a clubhouse. And so what was wrong with Ali's bullpen management? There were a few things with Giovanni Gallegos that I will point to that I think are concrete issues that I wish had been different. Um, but besides that, I don't know. He didn't have a ton of guys available. Like the bullpen stunk. We've already talked about that. It's tough when everyone you hand the ball to has an ERA over four. <laughs> we talked about Drew Verhagen earlier this show being his third option. Like that's not his fault. Uh, and moreover, Managing the clubhouse, like the stuff with Tyler O'Neill at the beginning of the season was frustrating, um, but maybe it was time. Like maybe that's an ongoing issue that needed to be addressed publicly. Maybe, like we don't know what happens inside the clubhouse. We have no idea whether they've had conversations about it before and Ali decided now it's time to go here. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, at this point, it's basically been confirmed by John Moselock that he believed there was issues with Tyler O'Neill. Um, at the time when the comments were made, Mo did say some things about maybe should have been handed inter- handled internally, but for the most part, he just agreed with um, all these saying guys need to be on the field and they need to give 100% when they're playing. And then today in his uh, interview with Ackerman, like, Again, he just went ahead and said we had issues with lineup consistency. And then he doubled down and said it's not just that guys were injured and on the IL. We had guys who were available who weren't playing. It's like the only position player who did that was Tyler O'Neill that we know of, at least. And so, like, he, like, it just seems like that's been a bubbling up issue. There's arbitration issues with him. Again, I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to say Tyler O'Neill is a bad player, bad person, or that he's a clubhouse issue um if anything beat writers speak against that they say the clubhouse has been fine and there hasn't really been a lot of talk about how they felt about the tyler o'neill stuff but there definitely wasn't like an up in arms like we don't trust ollie anymore or something so uh, i think that's overblown and if anything it's not just ollie it's like the whole organization was frustrated with tyler o'neill 
Yeah, I feel like there was something that came out back in 2018 about Matheny really losing the clubhouse. And I don't remember everything for sure. And I don't want to project where, because I'm not in the clubhouse and neither are other fans. So they need to always remember that when we talk about this stuff. Yep. Um, but I remember seeing a lot of stuff about how the clubhouse was no longer with Matheny. Uh, one more thing that's really different than that. Matheny, so as, as like a manager, you only do two things, right? You manage a clubhouse, you manage a bullpen. We already said that, right? But the problem is, like, Matheny actually was a terrible bullpen manager, and that's something that needs to be pointed out. There was a study that was done by an economist back in twenty eight or 2017 at the end of the season um, that basically pitted every single manager against a random number generator. And uh, it was this long paper that I read. It was really fun because I was a professed Matheny disliker. I won't say hater. That's mean. But I was a disliker for sure. Did not like, did not like Mike Matheny as the Cardinals manager. Um, <laughs> and uh, I saw this thing. And, and basically, every single manager contributed positively to their team's bullpen success by putting the right guys in the right spots. Um, and take it with a grain of salt. Uh, who knows whether this was actually like well done or not. But Matheny and Girardi. Um, were worse than the random number generator. And Matheny was significantly worse. He was by far the worst uh, one in the study. So I just think that's interesting. Like there were problems with Matheny. Those problems with Marmol, either they're not there or they're not big enough yet to really talk about firing him. Yeah, I mean, for the longest time, I think it might still be on my phone and autocorrect. When I type Matheny, it just turns into all caps. I, I don't know if that still does that for you, but back in the day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It still has flame emojis after I write the <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, as we're wrapping up, any quick myths or things you want to throw out there, things that are like just need to stop being things that Cardinal fans or media or national media talk about surrounding the team, or are these the main five? I think we should get on them for not signing the top of the market. Uh, that's going to come up a lot this offseason um, in terms of like Harper and a certain other person that I don't want to mention um, who might be a free agent this offseason. But, um, yeah, other than that, I, I have no no real issues with the Cardinals' front office. I think they've done a pretty good job uh, given what they've they've been handed. Yeah. Yeah, I'll throw out one truth, um, too. Like, Josh and I, we've talked about this at length before. The Cardinals go after the middle of the market, and that's a truth that's bad. And I think you guys, like fans, should feel free to criticize the team for this. When you play in the middle of free agency, you don't get those guys who it's like, wow, I can't believe we got him for nothing. Uh, you also don't get those guys where it's like, wow, he was an elite talent. Everyone knew it. You get guys who are really mid. And if they overperform, it's like we're still paying him a lot of money. And if they underperform, it's like, wow, we're paying him a lot of money to be nothing. Uh, that's how Dexter Fowler ended up being. Like, if he'd had a really good couple seasons, <laughs> I would have just been like, yep, we paid him, you know, $20 million a year. So I hope he's good. And since he was really bad, it was, wow, that's a $20 million cash suck. Um, so there's that. Yes, criticize the Cardinals all you want for playing in the middle. Um, and then one other thing, this is just like the national media. It drives me nuts that they pick on the Cardinals for making bad trades. We talked about it earlier. I just don't get it. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why they don't do it to other teams. Maybe this is me adopting a victim complex as a Cardinals fan who's really upset about the 2023 season. But I just don't understand why we constantly have to hear about trades that happened years ago that don't matter. And it's not just Cardinals accounts. It's like national accounts on Twitter and broadcasters talking about, oh my gosh, all these players used to be Cardinals. Um, so go take a turn and go mess with someone else. Go talk about the Mariners getting rid of Randy Johnson, Carlos Guillen, Adrian Beltre, Alex Rodriguez, Cattell Martin. So yeah. many names. And there's more. There are more. How about Tyler O'Neill, who ended up being like very talented here? Like, go do something else. So frustrating. <sighs> it felt good. I mean, it just felt good to beat up on these myths i just needed to get it out of my system and now we can just look forward to i'm sure those will end and i'm sure we'll address them in some way shape or form but um i think going forward now we can just kind of focus on the off season obviously the world series will be oh, yeah. wrapping up after this week the uh, gm meetings i believe are next week winter meetings are not for a while but yeah. um was i talked about today he thinks things will pick up really quickly next week and so we'll start to see some action moving and so that's that's really cool. And if the if the World Series goes seven games, I think it's a week a week from today that the offseason will officially start. And so 
We'll see. I, I think the Cardinals. Do you guys think they move quick on someone? I think they. I think they make at least one move pretty quickly. I think Yuki Matsui will sign pretty quickly because he's not he's not attached to a posting fee. He's an international free agent like Kodai Senga, so we don't have to pay his team anything. We just pay him, so that'll be cool. I bet that's like a seven eight million dollar a year kind of range. I don't think it goes above ten. <clears throat> yeah, plenty great by Thanksgiving. That's all I have to say. And and the nice part is once the Cardinals start acquiring players, we have so much more clarity. And so exactly we know what went into this or the Matsui contract or whatever, we can project further with much more certainty. So that's going to be totally. really helpful. Yeah, and if they start non-tendering some guys too, it'll because I mean, like, there's a there's a world they non-tender Tyler O'Neill. I don't think they do that. I think they trade him or keep him. I think his defensive value is fine enough for. Yeah. But you, I mean, there's just weird things like that where it's like, do they have an extra seven million to spend? And did they? Anyways, there's a lot of clarity we'll get, and then it'll make it way easier for us to give some like, not just like what we th- kind of think is going to happen, but we'll have some like real good indicators of what is about yeah. to happen once one maybe two moves happen. So for sure. Yeah, well, guys, this was a, a good episode. Uh, Andrew, you're wearing some of the uh, some lids merch, and so as always, click the link, go to the affiliate link, and get some um, merch to help support the show. And you could just get some really awesome stuff. Maybe get yourself a new bar jersey, or they always have some really cool T-shirts and hats going on. Um, anything else you guys want to add on before we wrap up? Yeah, we got some exciting guests coming on. Lynn Worthy from the Post Dispatch will be on with us next week, and we got our friend Jeff Jones um, in a couple of weeks as well. So get really excited for that! Um, all the all the guests um, we have lined up for this offseason is going to be awesome. Yeah, it should be a really good time. And outside of that, we've got other uh, guests we're trying to line up as well, and then we'll have our usual banter as well. Um, so yeah, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok keep up with the things and all that obviously you can see this on youtube if you're watching already um spotify all the places you get your podcasts like subscribe share it so people know obviously we're gonna be talking a lot about things this off season so let us know your thoughts comments also we can potentially do a live feature on this thing now too so maybe we need to plan like a live q a episode or something yeah, I don't know. There's some, so we have some fun comment content coming so thanks for the support everyone uh as you're watching you're listening and we'll see you next time